Welcome to What Derek Eating, Culture Map's weekly look at all things Houston bars and restaurants. I'm your host, Culture Map food editor Eric Sandler. I have Johnny Rhodes from Restaurant Indigo and Broham Fine Soul Food coming up in a little bit. But first, I am joined by my co hosts, plural this week. Let me introduce them individually. He is a passionate advocate for the Houston food scene. Matt Harris, welcome back to the show. Thank you, sir. Good to be here. She is the proprietor of swankymaven.com. Felice Sloan, welcome. Hey, 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 hey. Just got to back it up a little bit. I need you to work on my intro and bring me back in with a little more pizzazz like you gave Matt. One more time, please. Come on. I believe in you. Uh, She is a master of all things health, beauty, food, wine, and good times. She is the Swanky Maven herself. We follow her at Swanky Maven. Felice Sloan, welcome back to the show. How are you? Hey, yes, I'm good. Thank you for that intro. (laughs) All right. Let us dive right into the news of the week. Topic number one. Burger Chan has closed uh, their location in Greenway Plaza. This is, uh, this is bad news for me because I really like Burger Chan. It is bad news for what few office workers remain in Greenway Plaza. But this is, uh, this is more see you later than goodbye forever because they are still working on their location in the Galleria area at 5353 West Alabama, which is uh, not coincidentally where Gal Media, the company that owns Culture Map, has their offices. So, Matt, let me just let me just throw this to you. You're a you're a Burger Chan super fan. What are your What are your thoughts on the the closing? Uh, well, true story. I am a super fan. Uh, in in terms of places that I have frequented the most that have closed, this one is certainly at the top. Yeah, this one this one stings a bit. They they had a lengthy note on both their Instagram and then on their website that said their business was off as much as 80% because they counted on the dedicated office population of Greenway Plaza to support the restaurant. Obviously, people generally are not working in offices right now because of uh, COVID-19, so they really felt like they had no choice but to close. Felice, I don't had you ever been to Burger Chan? I'm not I'm not sure been there once but you know for me it's hard to get over there um most of the time i'm in the field out so yeah it's i feel bad just because they're they have a great burger it's a good company and i hate to see people just have to close down but um it wasn't one of my burger spots right so you know we lost bernie's burger bus the end of may burger chan has burger chan has closed at least for a period of several months until the new restaurant opens in 2021. It, it's left me a little bit without like a default burger to satisfy a burger craving. Felice, let me, so let me just ask you, what is, what is your current burger go-to right now? La Lucha, the pharmacy burger is always a go-to burger. Um, and that's like the replacement for, cause I was a Bernie's girl. So that pharmacy burger, it's just everything for me, you know, it's the perfect, it's just kind of like a flat burger. The ratio of bread to meat works. So that's one of my go-tos for sure. Matt, how about you? What are you what are you thinking? Where will you get your burgers now that you can't go to Burger Chop? Well, that's uh Felice has identified 
a fantastic burger at La Lucha. And that's certainly one of them. I uh, feel like uh, I'm going to have a little burger sorrows for, for a bit uh, with the loss of Burger Chan, but um, uh, La Lucha pharmacy burger, you know, relish has a, uh, a really fantastic cheeseburger that they do had a cheeseburger uh, thin patty style from Brandon Silva at Wooster's Garden this weekend that was delicious and a little little out of uh, off the beaten path maybe the cheeseburger at Tiny's number five over in Westview. Okay, I've check it out. Not, I've not had the cheeseburger at Tiny's. That's good to know. I got to say, I think my burger go to at least for right now is going to be the cheeseburger in paradise at Brazil. Two thin patties of 44 farms beef, bacon, cheddar, house-made jalapeno sauce served on a, on a kind of sweet and squishy potato bun, Shake Shack style, 13 bucks comes with fries. Maybe not quite as inexpensive as burger chan, no tots sadly, but I ate that burger again this weekend just to sort of verify how much I like it. And it is a greasy in a good way, gooey, and the the jalapeno sauce. It's not it's not super spicy, but it does have enough heat to kind of get your lips smacking. It's a really tasty burger, and it's it's uh, one I think I'm going to be eating more of now that I can't go to Burger John. I like it. And and then just to just sort of put a pin on this, uh, Chef Willet Fang, who's who owns Burger John with his wife Diane, will be available for private chef's dinners and, and that sort of thing, at least in the, in the short term. I, I don't know if anyone listening to this is looking for that, but, but just a reminder that Willett was uh, one of the opening cooks at Oxart. He's worked in uh, Singapore. So he's, uh, he's highly qualified. He's, he makes a lot more than burgers. And if I were having like a, a sushi party or something like that, uh, Willett might be my guy to, to cut up a bunch of raw fish and uh, show you how that's all done. Un- un- unmuting here. Technical oh. difficulties. Uh, I, I was going to follow up on uh, Felice alluded to it as well. Um, you know, they make a great burger, but they're even better people. They have a great reputation in the community and um, just really glad that uh, this is not goodbye. Absolutely. Okay, sorry for the interruption. More of what's Eric eating is coming up here in a second. But first, this is super important. Babe Wine has officially made its way to Texas. Yep, that's right. It's the cute, delicious, take-anywhere bubbly wine in a can that pairs well with literally everything. Even your grandma's iconic cornbread. Thanks, Grandma. Find our Grigio, Rosé, and Red Wines at HEB, Specs, Kroger, Walmart, and Target. You're welcome. Now back to the show. Hmm, Rosé and cornbread. Who would have thought? All right, let us move on to topic number two. I want to go a little bit off the board here. Usually our topics are based on articles that I have written for Culture Map. Uh, this is not. This is uh, something that's been circulating on social media. Chris Shepard had a post on his Instagram feed last week where a, a would-be influencer sent him a direct message and said, please... Uh, please offer us complimentary food items that we can post and write about on our blog. He said, uh, friendly reminder to not be asking independent restaurants for free food ever, but especially right now, restaurants have the tiniest profit margins and are hanging on by a thread. 
millions of people are without jobs, millions more are about to be without jobs. This is extremely tone deaf, be better, support restaurants by dining in, ordering to go or getting food delivered, support local. So essentially what Chris is saying is, you know, you can take your, your quote unquote exposure and shove it. Uh, if you want to support my restaurant, come and spend money with me. This inspired a predictable uh, outcry from a whole bunch of our local influencers who point out that, yes, they do get some free food occasionally, but their posts about restaurants can really help them grow. Felice, I, I have a, a wide variety of thoughts on this, but, but since you kind of straddle that influencer world, I, I wanted to bring you in and kind of get your, your take on both the, the ask and then the response from Chris. Yeah, um, I have definitely some opinions on I've talked to some influencers and um, some restaurants have been circulating that as well because, you know, I think they all, I won't say they all, the people that have circulated, they kind of feel like Chris feels. And I see it both ways. I think um, the nature of the message that they sent to Chris was definitely tacky. I think in the manner that they reached out, um, how they sent it, I, it was unacceptable. I think I agree. That's not a way I would have approached a restaurant um, before before pandemic and during pandemic. Um, so that's one thing. I think there's they could have reached out. One of the things I've never done when I was doing this and, and been doing it, free food is not anything that I really care about. <laughs> I'm like, I was doing this before. I pay for most of my food, even though I do great tastings. Um, so if there's a new restaurant, I want to go to the restaurant, I would go to the restaurant and then maybe reach out and to them and say, hey, I enjoyed the food. I was there, blah, blah, blah. Start a conversation like that and go from there. You know, there's a way you do that. Um, also to Chris's point that right now is probably not the time. Again, if you're wanting to approach a restaurant, definitely patronize the business. Maybe even when you're there, talk to the manager or whatever and develop a partnership. On the other side of it though, on the influencer side, yeah, I think to take a general um, statement and say, you know, pretty much to your point, yeah, thank you, but we don't really need your influence, all that. There's a lot of restaurants that have been successful and are known because of influencers going there, putting them on the map. And to the big restaurants that don't need it now, you know, you have a PR budget that you're spending money on um, that you're giving somebody the money. So to take that approach that, you know, that it's tone deaf, everybody doesn't have your budget. And I just say this to Chris, just saying it in general, but everyone doesn't have a big budget and all influencers aren't going down that road of looking just for free food. So, you know, I see it both ways. Well, right. So, so you, you made some of the points that I want to make, which is essentially like not all, there are certainly restaurants that benefit from being featured on certain Instagram accounts. I mean, I read, you know, I follow a few dozen of them, but, but certainly, you know, Hangry Houstonian, Houston Hotspots, Houston's Got Spice, Julie Jules, Eating with Catherine. I mean, just, just off the top of my head, I know those are, those are some food delicious. I mean, those are some that I, 
that I follow and really look to for, you know, knowledge about parts of Houston that, that maybe aren't plugged into the media apparatus, don't, don't pay for professional PR, and really rely on influencers to kind of get the word out about what they're up to, right? Felice, you and I never would have gone to proper Rose Garden and had a delicious afternoon of tea and tea and snacks if I hadn't seen that blow up on my Instagram feed with a whole bunch of influencers. So uh, there's certainly a role for them in this world. And if they get paid or they get free food or they get whatever, that's, that's really between them and the restaurants. I'm not, I don't rely on them for their opinions or their expertise, right? I'm not looking to them for, for insight into a, the quality of a restaurant. I'm really just looking for sort of pictures and experience. And then I'll make my own decision about whether that appeals to me or not, whether right. that's a place I want to go. And then once I go, obviously I'll form my own opinion. Uh, but there is something particularly arrogant and outrageous about approaching Chris Shepard or, you know, Morgan Weber posted this for Cultivare and thinking like, oh yeah, these like very famous restaurants need the exposure that my account, which Morgan, Morgan posted the full name of the account. I'm not going to share it. I don't want to give them, I don't want to direct any more negativity to them than they probably already received. But you know, this account had about 4,500 followers. It's like, you are not, you are not offering anything of value to these restaurants. And I, and I traded a bunch of DMs with some influencers myself because one of them posted like, Oh, well, if you could get, you know, an article on eater or the Houston Chronicle, in exchange for free food, you would make that choice every time. Well, they might, except that's not how that works, right? We don't trade. Right. right? An, an editorial not article, a to play. Exactly. Right. An editorial article in, in Culture Map or, or anywhere else is a judgment by the people who work at that publication. The content about that restaurant will be interesting to the readers, right? Like we're going right. to talk about Blue Door in here in a little bit. And I wrote two or three articles about Blue Dorn before it opened. Uh, I had Aaron Blue Dorn on this podcast. That was done with no expectation, no requirement other than, I think, the fact that a chef who worked at Cafe Baloo opening a restaurant in Houston is really exciting. It's a big deal. It's exciting. Right, right. right. It's, it's knowing that that kind of stuff is happening is why people read Culture Map and it's why I get paid a salary. Right. So... Right. It's newsworthy. And that's what people I think that's very important that you said that that's what people they miss that because we are in this whole influencer culture now that people think all that's what that looks like. I'm like, there's still traditional ways. Right. Like that's editorial. That's newsworthy. That has nothing to do with um, the after. Right. You you wrote these way before you even tasted any of the food like this is an right. exciting thing that's happening for the city. Yeah. Right. And, and yes, you and I did go to Blue Dorn as their guests through their public relations firm. We're going to talk about that meal here coming up very shortly. But if they had said to us, look, budgets are tight, you know, we'll make your reservation, but you're on your own. We still would have gone because fundamentally you and I both love restaurants. We're excited about new restaurants as they open. Right. And if I had to pay for that meal, I would have been happy to do so. I will go back in the future and I will pay for those meals. Uh, you know, it was a funny thing. Chris was like, you know, support, support my restaurant by buying food from there. Well, my mother and I ordered takeout from UB Preserve a couple of weeks ago, right? 
I've got that receipt, you know, dinner, dinner for two, because I was kind of feeling myself and, and <laughs> was like, oh, oh, lobster, lobster lo mein. Well, you know, with the tip, tax tip, uh, it was about 140 bucks. It was a, a little spendy on dinner for two uh, that came in boxes, but it was well worth it. The food was extremely delicious uh, and I was happy to do it. You know, that's not that's not something that I expense. That's not something the culture map pays for. You know, that's that's mom and Eric treating themselves to a, a nice dinner. So, yes, I do think there's a role for influencers. I do think influencers maybe overestimate their role sometimes and don't understand necessarily kind of how they maybe maybe don't always see the big picture. But I do, uh, you know. I do respect their role in this world. I, I, I obviously follow them because I see value in it. But, you know, know your role, influencers. Right. Like, like time and, you know, uh, but you know what? In the defense of I don't know the account, I'm, I'm always for someone. You know, hey, you aim big. So they said we're going to go for it. They probably could have worded it a little bit differently. But, hey, I commend them for going for it. Say, hey. <laughs> right. You know, nothing you ventured, give nothing gained. Nothing ventured, nothing gained, man. They went for it. They said, we going for this and we going to shoot high. <laughs> All right. Matt, well, do, you have any, do you have anything you want yeah, to add to this? Uh, in normal times, okay, maybe. I mean, I, I really struggle to see how, uh, you know, just a blind DM pitch is any sort of nothing venture, nothing gained. It's also extremely tone deaf. It, it, it just, there's someone that that's putting themselves uh, in front of the struggle of restaurants and bars right now like that to me is that's just a red line. And to, to countenance that behavior because that's the industry you're in isn't really that much better. Yeah, I, that was the one thing is I, I wanted to see the influencers just be a little bit more explicit about, yes, we provide value to certain kinds of restaurants that want to work with us, but what this person did was wrong, right? right. Yeah. This is they not what we about do. This is not way. what we're yeah. about. I, you know, I, I, I wanted, the, I wanted the, the denunciation to be a little bit more, the condemnation to be a little bit more explicit. I agree. Fee, anything before we wrap this up? No, you know what? I just I, I'm glad that um, like we're we we have the opportunity to address this, right? Because normally we're you, you kind of you're not really controversial, and I think that's a kind of controversial topic. So I'm glad that you went there, and because um, a lot of people don't know how that looks, <laughs> you know, like oh, what's wrong with doing that, or what's you know on both sides of it though, right? Like on both sides. Because there are, so I, I commend you for actually having the conversation. Well, thank you for that. Uh, that does it for the news of the week. We'll be right back with our restaurant of the week. Stick around. Our restaurants of the week are brought to you by Cutwater Spirits. Cutwater Spirits takes their award-winning real spirits, uses them to make great cocktails, which they then put into cans, so you can easily take them where no cocktail has gone before, even if that's just your own backyard in summer 2020. Cutwater offers a convenient way to enjoy your favorite bar-quality cocktail outside of the bar setting. They have a wide variety of over 17 delicious canned cocktails and 20 bottled spirits, so there is something for everyone. The Vodka Mule, Tequila Margarita, 
grapefruit vodka soda, and tequila soda are just a few of their fan favorites. You can find Cutwater locally at Specs, Total Wine, Goody Goody, and more. Visit CutwaterSpirits.com for more information. So, Matt and Felice, for our restaurant of the week, as I've already said, we want to talk about Blue Dorn. This is the new restaurant at 807 Taft, formerly the space that housed the Passive Provisions. Aaron Bluedorn has been a guest on the show. We've talked about this restaurant quite a bit. He was the executive chef at Cafe Ballou in New York for about five years. That means his boss was Daniel Ballou, arguably one of the most famous French chefs in America. Uh, I mean, it's not, I think, even in any exaggeration to say this is the most significant restaurant to open in Houston this year because we just don't typically see chefs with Aaron's resume and experience open restaurants in Houston. Matt, would you, would you agree with that? Well, uh, that's maybe a little bit loaded for me to agree with, but it is, it is unique to have chefs come from out of town to Houston. Right. Uh, Felice, let's, let's dive into the decor a little bit. I mean, this restaurant looked, nothing like the passing provisions do. Oh, yeah. When I walked in the space, I mean, just to know where things used to be, that's the only thing. You know, you're like, okay, we, I found myself walking in going, that used to be here. Try, and points trying to remember, though, right? Because it just was like a complete transformed it. It's, it's immaculate, like the, the way it looks, like the transformation, aesthetically pleasing in every way. It was like I was not in Houston anymore um, and definitely not in Houston during the pandemic. It just felt like I was transformed somewhere else at a different, at a different time. Um, it was beautiful. It was a place where I wanted to be. Like if I showed a picture or saw someone's picture, I would be like, ooh, where is that? Like, I want to be in that space. It was, it's, it's nice. Yeah, just to be explicit, right, they, they took down the wall that separated the provisions dining room from the past dining room. So it's got, it's a big open room and it's got mirrors on the walls so it looks even bigger. Uh, open kitchen, the kind of chef's counter pizza station that used to be part of provisions is now a raw bar. Um, there are these, you know, gorgeous blue velvet banquettes that kind of line the walls and in, in the middle of the room. You know, it's all kind of polished wood tables, wood chairs. It's uh, it's very comfortable, Matt. I don't know. What did you think about the way the restaurant looks? Yeah, the beautiful is, is a really good word for it. Um, and, and just the subtle touches of the uh, subtle touches of brass. The lighting is, is really well done. Uh, the bar is 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 really well done that they they did a great job i mean very very inviting comfortable place to eat matt have you seen in the daytime i'm sure you have i want to see it in the daytime like what because we saw it at night it was a little bit sexy kind of um not like um in a dark sexy kind of way right where it's very lit but not too what not too lit with um the brightness so in the daytime i wonder how it looks i want to see that yeah, it looks like they lengthened the bar too, and the the patio has been stretched out a little bit. So it's, uh, you know, I will say it's the first restaurant where, you know, it seems like kind of the COVID 
protections have been taken in the mind of the design, right? That they kind of had enough enough time before they opened it to do that. So I felt very comfortable there in the sense that there was plenty of room between the tables. Uh, and then they have some plexiglass partitions and things separating things out, but it still felt lively and getting that balance right between, I feel safe and comfortable dining here, but there's still like a, an energy in the room. I, I think it's really been something that's tricky for restaurants to do. So it's, uh, it's been, uh, I, I thought more than anything, maybe that was, that was what impressed me the most about the design. Yeah. The open kitchen, the lighting, it, the, the color scheme, those bank cats, just those little subtle touches. All right. Let's talk about the food. Uh, Felice, what would you say was your favorite thing maybe that you ate at our meal there? Oh gosh. Um, it was probably between the kale and the black rice and the short rib ravioli for me. <laughs> I'm going back and forth. I'm like, then I'm like, well, maybe the oysters. I don't know, but I'm going to settle on the quail with the black rice. Like that was just a, it was just a perfect bite. It was, it was funny because yeah. Matt saw the picture and Matt was like that quail, right? <laughs> Matt, remember Matt was, I was like, dude, I was thinking about it the next day. It was superb. Right. Stuffed quail breast served with black, like roasted bacon wrapped. Yeah. Just a, just a really impressive uh, presentation. Uh, a very delicious dish. Matt, how about you? What were, what were maybe one or two that stood out for you? The quail is, is definitely one of them and had it twice so far. And it's just delicious. Some high level cooking executed very well. So the uh, the brassicas uh, we really enjoyed, um, and the uh, wood roasted oysters were fantastic. Yeah, are those the ones that are kind of the Rockefeller style with the, the exactly? The, yeah, the, that's an impressive dish. Uh, Felice and I had the foie gras terrine, just a you know classic smooth served with like peach preserves and these like lemon. Uh, lemony biscuits. I thought that was uh, that was really delicious, and and that those short rib ravioli. I mean, just a you know thin pasta, the right texture. I mean, the short rib was rich and delicious. Uh, just everything about that dish really came together for me. And that burger. I mean, you know, it seems silly, but but you know, a properly medium rare cheeseburger, uh, house grind you know, with these cooked down sauteed onions, you know, if you're going to, if you're going to have a $19 hamburger, it's, it's gotta be really, really good. And and that certainly is. When Eric saw the burger, this is so funny. <laughs> they put the burger down and, you know, like it, it's a burger. I mean, it was, they cut it, but you didn't see it. I literally took the fork and knife and parted it. So I could take a picture. Eric was like, O M G. Do you see that burger? <laughs> Like, we all looked. It was perfect. <laughs> like, wow. <laughs> that's that's a burger. And that was before we even tasted it. Like, just It just looked like I need, you need to eat me. Like, I need that right now in my mouth. And then, Matt, was there, is there anything you've, you've tried that you, I, I won't say didn't like, but maybe liked less? Um, no. For a restaurant that's just opening to find its footing that quickly 
was really impressive. Service was on point. It just just was some very great dining experience. Yeah, I I will say that there was one that came up just a little bit short for me. It was that tambali pie. It's got that kind of sweet cornbread over the braised short uh, short rib, and I just the cornbread was maybe a little bit too sweet for me. Didn't really have any kind of a tamale flavor or texture, at least that I sort of expected. You know, I would say it, it might it might suit other people's tastes. I mean, I, I've seen it on social media, so I, I know that that's true, but it, it's not something I would personally order again. Well, uh, I had the exact opposite experience. It uh, was absolutely delicious. We, we ordered quite a bit of food that made it home for uh, leftovers and I had it for breakfast the next morning. I will say I'm looking forward to when they're doing brunch because it was even better in the morning. That's where we went wrong. We didn't get it as we didn't uh, take it home and have it for breakfast. Daddy, you got to ask me these things. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I do believe though that uh, a lobster pie is going on the menu in its stead so oh yeah i saw that lobster pie on social media last night uh or maybe a saturday night and uh it looked fantastic so i'll go i'll go back and order lobster pie happily yes lobster pot pie right uh yeah and i you know i i think one of the other things i really like about blue dorn is that they're kind of playing around with some dishes that we don't see here lobster pot pie comes to mind uh, Chiopino, the, the seafood stew, you know, we had, we had, we got the chance to try the, the Chiopino and, and it's just, you know, this kind of rich, uh, satisfying tomato broth. All of the seafood was really nicely cooked. And then they finish it with just a touch of sherry that kind of ties all the thing together. Uh, really enjoyed that. And of course, can't talk about this restaurant without talking about baked Alaska, which uh, Aaron stopped by the table. He's like, it's flaming ice cream cake, right? So, um, you know, two kinds of ice cream in a layer of uh, meringue. Uh, I, I don't, I honestly don't think I've ever had baked Alaska before. I can't remember having it before, but what a, what a wonderful introduction to it. Yeah. I think that's, uh, that's, that's probably the signature dessert there. Anytime you want to put flame and meringue together, I'm in. <laughs> You're there. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, they're, and they're they're even doing the molten chocolate cake which is is such a cliche that it was made fun of in the movie chef and that movie's got to be you know damn near 10 years old already but you know when it's when it's done right when the pastry is is a little bit crispy when the the chocolate is rich and gooey and really melted it's a reminder that that dessert used to be kind of revolutionary and is still really delicious it's just it's sort of half-assed so often but you know they're not they're not messing around at Blue Dorn. I guess is it's kind of the the way things are going. And then uh, you know the other thing, uh, Felice, that we should maybe talk about is you and I had wine pairings with Jack Mason, who's uh, who's currently kind of working there while he's furloughed from Pappas Brothers, trading off with uh, with their sommelier Molly, and uh, uh, you know they're both kind of playing around with all these different Italian wines to pair with the food and. You know, it's a it's a really deep bench of stuff that they've got on that wine list. And, and it is. It was such drank a treat. Very, very was, well. Yeah, it was such a treat. I I just remember saying, 
man, it was really, <laughs> it was the dinner I didn't know I needed. And I think one of the questions you asked, is this one of the most significant and most important um, restaurants of 2020? For me, it definitely is right now. Um, you know, somebody can come and steal that position, but it just, if you're a food lover, it's just a restaurant that they just, the service, um, the experience, the food, the wine, um, all of it just comes together. And it just makes you, for that time that you're there, and that's why people go out a lot of times to, you know, um, treat themselves, treat yourself to that. It was just, it just blipped in my spirits. It made me feel like a year ago, you know, it just, I was in the moment enjoying dinner with the folks that were there, enjoying food and wine. And that's all I was thinking about. And it just, it just made my day. And then when the chef came out, what a nice, I mean, he was very nice and appreciative and just was a genuinely um, nice and appreciative host. So it was a marvelous experience for me. Absolutely. Matt, any final thoughts before we wrap this up? No, that's really well put. I, I like that sort of metaphor of, of transporting you to a happier place. Yeah. I, I mean, as I, as I said, I think this is certainly the most significant new restaurant to open in Houston this year. Not that there aren't other delicious new restaurants, not that there haven't been other really fine meals. Matt, you and I had one at Musifer. Uh Mary Clarkson and I had one at Turner's, you know, there's, there's kind of smaller places certainly that we've had some good food this year, but not just for its deliciousness, but also for its its atmosphere and service and its beverage program and, and just the whole experience. I, I don't think I've I've had a better overall time uh, than Felice and I did at Blue Doran and, and I I can't wait to go back and and I know that this is a this is a very expensive restaurant and, and as I said earlier in the show, uh, we were their guests, the guests of their uh, public relations firm, but but um, this is definitely splurge territory for most people, but I will, uh, I, I will make that splurge. I, I will, I will allocate money uh, so that I can go back to blue Dorn on my own dime uh, very happily. Yes. It reminds me of the, uh, what's what, you know, the Houston, it's worth it. Motto. Yeah. Blue Dorn. Yeah. <laughs> it's worth it. It's worth it. It is. All right. That does it for our restaurants of the week. Matt Harris, thank you. Thanks, sir. Felice Sloan, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you for letting me be on with Maddie. I never did that. So that was a treat today. I was just about to say, good to be with you, Felice. Always. (laughs) All right. I will be right back with Johnny Rhodes. Before I introduce my guest this week, just a quick heads up. There are a few audio issues from uh, Johnny's end. He's coming to us live from his uh, Food Fight Farms project, which is about an hour outside of Houston. So the connection comes out a couple of times. Just uh, we apologize for that, and uh, still think it's a it's a really great conversation with Johnny. And I I hope you enjoy it. I'm joined this week by the chef owner of Restaurant Indigo and the proprietor of Broham. Fine Soul Food and Grocery. Johnny Rhodes, welcome back to the show. How are you? Doing pretty good. Thank you for having me on. Thanks for doing this. It feels like so much has happened for you 
since the last time you were on the show, I mean, I, you know, I never would have guessed that the, you know, the first time I met you was, uh, was at your apartment in Northeast Houston. You were previewing ideas that would sort of eventually lead you down the road to, to Indigo. You know, I never would have guessed the, the James Beard nomination. I never would have guessed the Texas Monthly feature article. I never would have guessed all the national acclaim. I mean, how do you feel? I mean, you've, it, it's got to feel pretty good to have achieved at least so much notoriety in, in such a relatively short period of time. Oh, man, I, I appreciate that. I mean, I never would have guessed any of those things either, if I'm being honest with you. Uh, the, I mean, those things weren't necessarily on my radar uh, at the time. I mean, I, of course, I was aware of them and I knew about, about them, but I had no idea how to obtain them. I was more so just, you know, just trying to get off, trying to get, you know, get on my feet. And, uh, you know, being in this junction now and having all those things happen, uh, during, when you're going through it, you really don't really appreciate it. But, you know, now that this is kind of coming down to our last year as a restaurant, I'm kind of looking back at, at all of it. And it was just a whirlwind. And I appreciate it now a whole lot more. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's just been great. Yeah, I mean, uh, let's talk about that decision. I mean, you announced uh, a couple of months ago that, that this is going to be the last year for Indigo. I know that surprised a lot of people. I mean, what kind of led you down the road to that decision? I mean, uh, longevity. I mean, you don't see very many, if any, restaurants uh, lasting, you know, 50, 60, 75 years, things like that. And, uh, and me having, you know, children and family, um, you know, that's the type of lineage. Um that you know, I want to be able to establish for myself and for my family, and never having access to that, I want to be an example of, of different ways of being able to do that. Yeah, I mean, you, I mean, one of the things you did is you, you've been talking about opening a grocery store, you know, for a long time, and the pandemic kind of pushed you to to maybe move on those plans a little faster than you intended. So. Maybe just talk a little bit about kind of what Broham is and kind of what inspired you to, to go in that direction. I mean, yeah, uh, COVID happening was like, man, <laughs> I mean, I still can't believe uh, the pivot and, you know, what we did and how we did it. But, I mean, it was something that was necessary. We closed on March 9th, uh, which is like a little under 10 days, uh, you know, a little over 10 days, excuse me, you know, before. Uh, everything took place and, you know, the city, the city uh, shutting down and stuff like that. And it was just, it was kind of nerve wracking knowing that the restaurant was going to be closed. And then at that same time, we had other things that were just going on and we wanted to be able to pivot and you know, be, uh, you know, be there for support for our community long term and short term. And in doing so, we thought about, you know, why not just go ahead and try the grocery store? And we ran into so many pick up so many bumps and bruises. It was uh, it was really rough, you know, having a grocery store and not having any experience doing it or even how to do it. Uh, but our team was like very vigilant and very, you know, adaptable. And, we, you know, we made it happen. Yeah. What were maybe some of the specific challenges you ran into and, and how did you overcome them? I mean, the grocery store business is, is a very, is, you know, very different from the restaurant businesses based upon inventory. Uh, Restaurants are more so about making quick money and selling things quickly. Of course, in the grocery store, you need to have things on hand at all times. 
Uh, but then also you operate off of things with a short shelf life. Uh, but Indigo was a restaurant that was built off of preserves already. Uh, so it being built like that made it a little bit easier to transition for us into the grocery store because we already had such a large inventory of preserves. Uh, but then we ran into the issue of packaging, right? Uh, when COVID happened, there was a lot of things we couldn't get packages, uh, packaging to us. Um, you know, that was a that was a struggle, you know, packaging things and learning how to package things properly, labeling, uh, you know, barcodes. You know, all these different things are you know, things that are very uh, QRF uh, codes. All these things are very important to get into a grocery store. We just didn't have the experience or the knowledge at the time. So, I mean, what's the what's the response been like to the grocery store? I mean, you're in a part of the city where there really isn't much access to fresh food. I mean, I, I got to feel like, are people I mean, excited about it or, or how's that gone? Yeah, I mean, people people really enjoyed it. Our product, we're putting out really great products. Uh, everyone was enjoying the products that they got from us. Um, of course, we ran into some different pricing issues to where, you know, some people couldn't afford different things. Um, but that's also part of, you know, us having a farm and building our building our efforts to move towards sustainability um and in the, and in that you see people also a lot of people are living off of food stamps and wick and snap and different other food benefits both state and federal and we didn't have the system or the infrastructure to accept those items so we had to create a system to be able to accept those items uh so that way we can you know broadcast to a, lar- a larger genre of people so do you are you now able to take Snap and Wick and some of these other programs. Yeah, by the time we reopen the grocery store, we will be able to snap, accept uh, Wick and food snaps. And then you mentioned the farm. I would talk about kind of the, the relationship between the farm and the grocery store because I, I think we're all sort of familiar with the idea that a very small group of restaurants, you know, have access to a farm or have their own farm, right? Uh, you know, Rosie Cannonball has a has access to a farm, or, or maybe most prominently, uh, Blue Hill at Stone Barns, right? Dan Barber's Restaurant in New York, uh, very well known for its farm. I, I can't think of many grocery stores that have direct access to a farm. Right. I mean, well, I mean that's based off our entire concept as a grocery store is you know is is controlling and completing that supply chain. Uh, imagine going into a grocery store and there's something that's moldy or there's something that's wrong, right? They just take it off the shelf and replace it with something else. But how do you as a consumer not know that, that that's not going to happen again? Uh, with it being us, you know, completely in-house and completely self-sufficient, um, we look at tr- we can look at troubleshooting those issues so that way you can have that safety blanket going that it's never going to happen again, you know, or... You might, you know, you might show up to the grocery store and the farmer, the person that actually grows the food might be delivering it that day. Uh, so if you have different questions about things, also the hospitality level that we're going to provide as a grocery store. So many people go into grocery stores uh, unsure of what it is they want they want to cook or even knowing how to prepare it. Uh, we plan on having people on the floor um, guiding people to help them be able to make those decisions based on what it is that they're looking to do. Right. Well, and not just you know, what do I do with this vegetable or this meat item or whatever? But, you know, you, you see people like, you know, in a traditional grocery store, like, you know, knocking on melons or smelling things to try to figure out if they're fresh or not. There's not always a lot of guidance, right, about what these ingredients are, or how they're grown. I mean, so I, you know, from a service perspective, I think you've got a real opportunity to educate people and, and kind of help them understand 
what the potential of these different ingredients is. Right, and that's that's the idea. And when you have when we control the entire supply chain, what it is when you see most grocery stores lose out on money, um, where they have those products that are fresh or are going to be on such a short shelf life. Uh, as a chef and as a you know preserver and things like such, you can then take those same products that are on a short shelf life and then turn around and put it right back on our same shelves, but as a different product. So just tell me a little bit about kind of the the structure of the farm. I mean, like. How far away from your restaurant or, or the grocery store is it? I mean, how big is it? You know, when do you expect it to be producing? Um, so, I mean, we're, we're a little bit about an hour and some change outside of the city. Um, we're sitting on a little over six acres. And uh, we're, I'm actually here right now. We're, you know, burning, burning, burning the last of the trees and the underbrush that needs to be burned down. And then... Um, We'll be hopefully planting by Halloween once it cools down a little bit. Um, I'm ho- I was hoping to plant this month, but I don't think that we'll be able to. Um, but I'm hoping, I, I believe we'll be able to plant by Halloween. And uh, us planting by Halloween will mean we'll be able to harvest. Yeah, if you, so if you plant by Halloween, you'll be able to harvest what in February or March or whatever. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I'll be able to even harvest a few things in December. Oh, that's great. Uh, I mean, do you... I don't know how, how much do you know about farming? Are you working with a farmer? Like how does the mechanics of the crop growing actually come together? No, that's uh right now we don't have a farmer. I'm doing everything myself right now. I'm, you know, doing quite a bit of juggling. I really appreciate uh project managing. Uh, that's something I really, I really enjoy is, you know, being from earlier on when Indigo first opened up, going from doing everything myself, I'll delegate the work and then, just trying to be a teacher and be very focused on what it is for the end result and then building towards that. Uh, right now, the farm is, is, just, is headed in that direction to where um, eventually we'll have a farmer, but for right now, I'm just holding down the fort. So you're Farmer Johnny? Farmer Johnny, Chef Johnny, uh, Engineer Johnny, Builder Johnny. <laughs> what, do you, what do you need to do? You, you said you, you burned <laughs> off some of the land. What are, what are the other things that you have to do to get ready to the point where you can plant? Uh, yeah, well, I mean, we're using slash and burn tactics right now. So we'll till our beds and do some different to our beds, get our, our beds ready so we can start planting. Um, yeah, we, uh, we also got fresh water in. So I would say the biggest thing for us is right now is probably getting our irrigation done. And then uh, we can bring it in dirt and soil and we'll start making our beds and planting by Halloween. And then is it an organic farm or, or what about that? Uh, I, I try not to use that. I'll just say natural. We'll be composting and, you know, using natural uh, natural and organic, you know, food ways to do all these things. But we're going to use a lot of ancient food ways uh, from, you know, we'll do some awesome, some modern techniques like compost tea. We'll add ashes. Uh, we'll do tons of composting. You know, just a lot. This is my first time taking on a, a full-fledged farm like this. So if I'm being honest with you, I plan on learning a lot and absorbing a lot of information and then processing it and then using it. Um, my, my information isn't, you know, overly limited, but I'm sure there's, I'm more than sure that there's so many people that know much more than me and I'm just listening to all of them and you know, applying it as they teach me. And then what do you think you're going to grow? Oh, I know. Uh, we're going to grow uh, quite a bit, quite a bit, actually. So we're, uh, we're I'm dedicating at least uh, one and a quarter acres 
the uh, nothing but fruit. So we're going to have an entire fruit forest with fruit trees. Uh, and then we have another entire acre and a quarter dedicated to you know, crops. We'll be looking at corn, potatoes, carrots, collard greens, onions, garlics, uh, all those different beets, all those different you know, <clears throat> mushrooms, etc. All of those different products. The common house, uh, household grocery products, you see. We'll have some specialty items out there, but won't go too wild. And then, I guess, talk a little bit about kind of what you, long-term, like, what's your vision for Broham Fine Soul Food? Because, I I mean, the indigo space is so small. I mean, do you do you think that that's kind of enough room for what you want to do, or do you have plans for, for a bigger space? I mean, that's, uh, indigo isn't where the grocery store is going to be located at. Uh, indigo is just its own space for our uh, for another project, and a project involving the grocery store. Uh, but I, I anticipate, or my goal is, in the next 10 years, uh, I'll be 30 in October, so uh, by the time I'm 40, and in the course of 10 years, the goal is to get 1,000 acres and 25 stores. Wow. That's the goal. To cover, I mean, that's that's going to take you beyond Houston, I assume. 100%. Okay. What, what's kind of inspired you to, to move in this direction, kind of away from a restaurant and towards more direct-to-consumer kind of grocery items? Uh, I mean, that was kind of always the plan. Uh, Indigo as a concept, I, I told everybody, was a stepping stone. Uh, it's a stepping stone for you know, more sustainability and then a stepping stone for you know something that can be a, a project long-term. Everybody from our community doesn't have the availability or the affordability to pay 125 Right. So I use my my customer base and my platform my, and my message and everything to build that up. So that way I can create something much larger. When I very first opened up, where I didn't have the capitalism or the mindset or even the understanding to be able to take on a project of the magnitude that I'm doing now. Yeah. I mean, what sort of prepared you or, or when did you kind of know that, that you were ready to take this next step? I mean, I, I, I didn't. I still don't. I don't think there's things. I think when there's the next step, when the next step is in. Know, in the framework for any career or anything that you're doing, I don't think you ever know when you're ready to take the next step. Uh, I mean, I make I made so many mistakes doing this. It makes me like, man, did I make the right step? But that's a part of it. You know, it's not uh, it's not the adversity that's the problem. It's how you respond to it that uh, that makes the difference. Yeah, and I mean, obviously, you know, after the the death of George Floyd and and the the protests, I mean, we're you know, we're in a tremendous moment of people maybe talking about racial justice in, in this country in a way that they probably haven't since the civil rights movement. I mean, what do you see as kind of your role in that or, or how has that kind of affected maybe your goals? Uh, I would say it's, it hasn't it hasn't affected our goals. Um, these are things that have been going on for eons and eons since the inception of you know this country. And um uh, I'm, I'm really at a point to where I don't have much to, 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 to give as far as the conversation. I think what needs to be done, what has to be done, every, a lot of us are very much aware of. Um, but I think, you know, we, we, we give too much into the idea of democracy and not doing it ourselves. You know, I think change is something that has to change. Is, change in progress is daily, right? Um, if you can't, you know, if you can't touch your toes today, you can't ask somebody else to come help you stretch so that you can touch your toes tomorrow. You got to continuously every day try to bend down and touch your toes. Um, and for me, my idea is us as a society, we have to 
try to solve those issues without always leaning and looking for the government to do those things. I, I just, I've, I've never understood that. And, you know, I think the less power we give them, the less control they have over us. And I think if people that didn't like each other or don't believe in each other, whatever the case might be, uh, actually sat down and talked about it and tried to you know, resolve it and move forward, we can look at those things. But we keep on both sides, keep believing in politicians who want to drive us further apart. So you're you're kind of stepping back from all that. You're just going to kind of yeah. You're going to kind of do your thing and focus on on the the changes you could affect. Well, I mean, I, I don't think there's nothing my hands can't do, um, but I do I, I do believe that you know while everybody else is you know having conversation, I'd rather be back doing some of the work, you know, being frontline and making those things happen. There are people out there that are doing things across this world that are so incredible that don't involve any conversation. And they're not getting enough support. And I don't want to be, you know, a person that, you know, looks up and when the world is all coming down, my kids ask me, what did I do when the shit hit the fan? I want to tell them that I was in the dick of it. Have you have you seen changes in your neighborhood, even in the, the three years that you've been there? Yeah, I see a lot. I mean, I see changes every day. I mean, it's, it's, it's human evolution, you know, getting to see people, you know, in our community, like, I have guys that, that work on my farm, that work in my restaurant that's from the neighborhood and that's from the community. And now they're talking about, you know, like, oh, I can't wait for me to buy me some land. Oh, I want to buy some land. And this was something that was, you know, never an idea before because in our community, where we come from, where we come from, you know, owning land isn't something that you were brought up to believe that was for you, you know, and, and then to have them be able to come out see it and see the change and see the work you know they saw that space as an abandoned 30 year 30 year old building when we stepped into it and now it's uh it's a beautiful luxurious space you know we did that in our community we didn't have to leave and go find somewhere else to be we we did that right there in our backyard and then we went outside of our backyard and created something even bigger and better for us and the idea is to inspire for us to do more you know i'm only one man i'm only one person um, but if I can get more and more people to believe in themselves, to do more for themselves and for their communities, there's nothing that can stop us as a society from being better. Do you have goals for the restaurant now that it's your your last year? I mean, is there anything specific you want to achieve before you close the doors? Uh, man. Well, I, I plan on keeping the menu the same for the entire year, but the uh, the chef for me won't let me do it, so I'm gonna. Uh, in the spring, we're going to uh, change the menu to the pescatarian side so we can do the, the seafood. Um, I've always wanted to uh, go up courses and do, you know, do even more intricate things. So we're definitely going to do that for the pescatarian, go up in courses, and then, uh, then we have that menu change as well. Um, I really want to have my domino tournament when we close. Man, we couldn't do it this year, and I was heartbroken. Yeah, I mean, I... I mean, I remember for the one-year anniversary party, you were you were out there with everybody mixing it up, talking, yeah. talking shit, and and throwing <laughs> uh, throwing bones. So, hey, listen, Mr. King, the guy who won last year, he's been coming by the the restaurant like every day for like the past three months. He'd be asking us if we got his rent money ready because <laughs> he won so much money, <laughs> won so much money last year. He paid his rent. So he just been coming by. He came by like May and June, which is like, I'm just making sure y'all going to have my rent money for August ready. 
So, uh, <laughs> you know, people in, people in the neighborhood, that, that was something that was great to have everybody together and, you know, playing games and, you know, just enjoying good food. And then having people that's not from the community, you know, intertwined to that, it opened up the door for, you know, understanding. And that's what it's all about. You know, everybody being in the same space and in the same place together and enjoying themselves. How's it been going since you reopened? I mean, are you, do you feel comfortable? Do the diners feel comfortable? I mean, it's a, it's a tricky environment for everybody right now. Yeah. I mean, that's, this is very true. It's definitely, I mean, I feel comfortable. Um, Everybody else has been pretty comfortable. We keep everybody seated pretty, pretty far apart. Um, And, you know, just having that, having the table set up the way it is, our server isn't like trying to get in between people, trying to walk behind people serving you from behind and serve you for the front. So the contact is already even more limited. Uh, and then it being such a small space, it's not, you know, 40, 20, it's not even 20 people, you know, but it's not, you know, it's a very small amount of people. Uh, and everybody has been so respectful. Um, this year so far has been like, this is why I, I imagined it being like, it almost kind of sucks that we're closing because like now I feel like we finally got it figured out. Well, you don't have to. I mean, you could you could stick around for. I don't think anybody else would be mad if you stuck around for an extra six months or even a year. I mean, well, I mean, I, I would love to, but you know, with everything that's going on, it's, it's very important, you know, to me and uh, for my family and my kids that and my community as well to be able to create something that can last much longer than my lifetime. Because I could, I can get off of this phone and hit the freeway and be on my way there, and all of this could go up in smoke. So, you know, I want to make sure that I'm moving diligently and getting things done so that way we can create some change that can last hundreds of years and affect our community and our people much longer than my lifetime. So do you think you're done with, with restaurants entirely and, and you'll just be uh, you'll be focused on Broham for the rest of your career? Or how do you see that shaking out? I mean, Broham and uh, Broham is a, is a legacy lifelong pro- project. You know, that's not something that, uh, that I'm ever going to be done with. Um, I'm sure at some point my daughter, my son, my kids would you know, take over it. But, but I mean, restaurants. I don't. I don't think I'll. I don't think I'm just gonna be done with it forever. Uh, but I have to take care of this first before I can, you know, look back and, uh, you know, doing restaurant work. Yeah, I. I mean, I remember your Instagram post when you announced that you were closing. I, you know, I guess I guess I just never really realized that there were there was no like outside investors that, that no one had, had kind of taken you up on the opportunity to participate in this. Cause I, I mean, I remember going to that pop-up you did during black restaurant week and there were all these, you know, well, just judging by the cars they drove and uh, very affluent people in the room. And I, I thought surely at least a few of them would have, uh, would have seen the potential and, and maybe wanted to invest with you. I mean, I did too. I mean, I felt like that a lot of times. Uh, you know, but there's no crying over spoiled milk. You know, the freight train has to keep going, and I bet they're kicking themselves now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they might. They, maybe they'll. Maybe they'll. Uh, I don't know. Maybe they'll subscribe to your CSA or uh, or help you find uh, help you find additional locations for Broham as you as you grow that. Nah, I'd rather not give them any of my money. <laughs> I'd rather not give them any of my money. I'm, I'm really like, I'm, I'm really focusing on like, really like less, less about money and really more about like, you know, just giving back. You know, money, money comes and goes as the as, as the wind blows. You know, people look up and they don't really realize that they spent, and made, 
so much money in a year, but it's just how we spend it, you know, how we how we use it. I, I, for me, I personally, I would, you know, I prefer to use it towards, you know, food and towards the betterment of people having food. Because um, if everybody doesn't have food, you know, people don't understand the, 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 the cognition between crime and food, right? When you have young people that commit small crimes for stealing, you know, small amounts of money, they're not going to spend that money on something luxurious. That money is re- is recycling through the drive-through line at McDonald's and Burger King and Wendy's. You know, so I look at it like if I can provide a more sound way for you know all these people to eat and it be affordable and also provide ways for them to have access to it, you, know, you kill multiple birds with one stone. Not even two, multiple. So what is? I mean, so what does success look like for you? Maybe over the next five years. I mean. You know, a built-out farm, three locations of Broham. I mean, how are you? How are you sort of measuring your your goals now? Uh, honestly, I'm not. Uh, you know, I'm, until it's until it's done. You know, nothing is done. If that makes sense. You know, if we have, if I look up and you know, we have, you know, three stores and and twenty five acres. You know, that's that's great, but not job complete yet you know so that that that's why that's why i measure the success as it's finishing out you know when i started well johnny i i appreciate it i mean it's been uh it's been really something watching you kind of set the world on fire and i wish you uh, nothing but success in the future oh man i appreciate that man you're you're day one you came <laughs> you came inside of my apartment at eight so you know i, I appreciate that man and then Ever since, it's just been, this has been a whirlwind, and it's been fun to, to, you know, to be able to do all this. I feel very fortunate. All right. Well, we will, uh, obviously, we will we will continue to support you at, at Indigo, and we will, uh, you know, everybody who's listening to this podcast, when you reopen Broham, I'll, I'll be sure and let people know, and, and we'll be there for biscuits and bacon and preserves and, and whatever else you want to sell us. Oh yeah, we'll have so much in abundance for you, man. I can't wait for you for y'all to have access to it. All right. Well, give us the uh, give us the website and everything for for Indigo, and and kind of let people know what your status is, so that they can come come meet with you one more time. Um, so you can check us out at uh, for on our Instagram is going to be restaurant underscore Indigo HTX, um, or if you want to check us out online, it's going to be htxindigo.com. Um, reservations are. It's only 10 people inside the restaurant at a time. Uh, we're 125 tasting, uh, tasting menu. And uh, we're going to be looking at reopening the grocery store here pretty soon. You can keep up with all the updates for Broham Fine Soul Food and Groceries at Broham underscore groceries. And uh, you'll see all of the information about uh, what we're doing with the farm and the grocery store and possibilities and availabilities to donate. Johnny, thank you very much. Thank you for having me. You can follow me on Instagram at Eric Sandler. Keep it locked on culturemap.com for all the latest Houston bar and restaurant news. Thanks so much for listening. I'll be back next week.